0: Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of fantasy, romance, and all the structural places they intersect. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Mm. We have an indoor podcast today. It's a chilly morning here in Santa Fe, just 38 degrees. We didn't freeze last night, though, so that's nice. Uh, Our big storm is still kind of here. It's no longer so tumultuous. No wind. Got a lot of rain last night. Uh, The night before that, we had um, the jet stream swooping overhead. I posted that image to the podcast. And uh, boy, did the wind swoop. (laughs) They were coming from the east-southeast. And David and I were reflecting on how when the wind comes from an unusual direction, we're just not as prepared for it. So even though I'd known for days that we were going to have high winds, I didn't think to take down uh, some flower pots that I have. We have sort of a, an archway. I don't even know what you would call it. It's not really an arbor. It's just one of those like three foot long little archways. Um <laughs> You know, I I keep thinking of, like, wedding things. But anyway, it's sort of at the end of the path that leads to our house. And I have some plant brackets at the top and a couple pots of flowers in those. And one of those pots of flowers came down in the wind and shattered. And it's funny just because it didn't occur to me to take those down. But normally, they're in a place where they're not they're not vulnerable to wind. And, you know, for the most part, we didn't have too much trouble with, with wind damage, but just little things like that. And David was saying how it's funny, how we unconsciously brace for weather from a particular direction that we're accustomed and don't think about our vulnerabilities when it's coming from an unusual place. And he was drawing the parallel too you know, like battles. And he said, you know, that's probably why in those stories of the epic battles, you know, it's always like the enemy sneaking through an unguarded place where people just aren't accustomed to being attacked. That's where it works. And certainly I've played on that idea a lot. So um, we had to turn on the heat yesterday because it was cloudy all day and it was dropping down to about 65 in the house. And so even though we're supposed to be back up in the upper seventies by the weekend, I went ahead and we turned on the forced air and I went ahead and bumped up the uh, radiant heat. Radiant heat takes about 24 hours to reach temperature, but our floors were so icy. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, it's like, okay, well, it's dumb to resist this. I'll just always turn it off again once it warms up. But yeah, by last night, uh, it was pretty chilly, pretty chilly in the house. So good little, good little storm, lots of moisture, which is nice. Um, and grateful that we didn't freeze people up the road, uh, meaning like, a five-hour drive up the front range (laughs) they got snow Albuquerque lost a lot of power Um, one of my friends Katie Lane uh, was said she was still out of power yesterday evening but we have buried electric lines up here because we're snooty Santa Feans and we like our pretty views and in Albuquerque they a lot of their lines are not buried and they also have more trees so, I think that was the combination of the two. A lot of the, because the leaves are all fully leafed out, of course, at this point. It was really still summer. So, when the uh, winds came through, it really dropped a lot of tree limbs on power lines. And so, but here we do, we all get by. I was listening to Leslie Penelope's co- podcast. Almost said cod pass, that's kind of like cod piece. It would be funny to have a cod piece podcast, although you'd really have to practice your tongue exercises before you lit into it. Um, <laughs> was it just yesterday that I was listening to it? I went into town for my very important Manny Petty, and I got kind of a coppery color for the onset of autumn. Which I might not have gotten if it hadn't been so chilly out. We did get a hint of snow. I probably didn't mention that. Um, There was snow like on the windshields and on a few of the cooler surfaces. But all of my annual vines were fine. So I'm grateful for that. So anyway, I was listening. I might have been listening to Leslie on Monday. I think that's it. I started listening to her on Monday when I was going to look after the kitty cat, and then I finished listening to her yesterday. Um, but anyway, Leslie this week was talking about the black moment. And uh, I'll just drop my contact link. Right, I'm going to pause you so I can find Okay, I found it. I know you're relieved. I have something in my eye this morning, and I was fidgeting with it and popped the contact lens out accidentally. Something I do frequently. (laughs) I wear um, semi-soft gas-permeable lenses, so they're not like those soft lenses that uh, are impossible to pop out that you really have to scrape off your eyelid eyeball. Not eyelid that would be an incorrect usage please don't do that don't put contact lenses on your eyelids <laughs> so anyway leslie was talking about black moments and it was interesting hearing her talk about it because it made me reflect on some of my own ideas and for those who don't know you know it. These structural conversations happen a lot in writer circles, uh, particularly with, um, newer writers or writers that are really trying to hone their craft because while there are a lot of things about writing that we cannot teach structure is a teachable thing, or at least it's something that can be articulated in a way that, uh, A lot of things about writing cannot. So it's probably the authorial equivalent of discussing pigment combinations and brushstrokes for painters or for talking about um, chords and dynamics for musicians. It doesn't get at the art of it, but it is something that is quantifiable and is subject to analysis. And so people geek out over it because it's what we can geek out over. It's what's there to discuss. All of which should communicate that I take some of these beats and structural stuff with a grain of salt. Um, That said, on Dark Wizard, I just passed the Act Two Climax. And that was... Something I was kind of contemplating because as often happens for me What happened at the act two climax was not what I expected And I think I mentioned that the other day that this book has a lot more of a romance arc in some ways than um, a hero's journey arc, which I often use and Right there that should communicate that we have many different kinds of arcs and it varies with genre In romance, the black moment is kind of the emotional nadir. It is or the climax, depending on how you look at it. It is the moment of despair. It is when all is lost. And many people say that the black moment should happen at the act two climax. I've seen other people say that the black moment should happen at midpoint. So, These things are really subject to interpretation and to how you think of your story. Now, the thing about the three-act structure is that it is useful particularly because and, and I'll recap this a little bit just for people who don't know, but act one is the first 25%. Act 2 encompasses the middle 50%, so from 25% to 75% with the midpoint where you would imagine right at 50% through the story. Act 2 climax occurs at the end of Act 2 at 75%. Then Act 3 is the remaining 25% or so Uh, A lot of times we talk about that the Act 3 climax occurs at somewhere around 90% because we want that remaining 10% for the denouement to wind up everything. So sometimes we use the shorthand of talking about the three-act structure in a story as Act 1 is get your protagonists up a tree. Act 2 is you throw rocks at them. Act three is you get them down. Uh, I think that's an oversimplification. Another simplification is in romance. We talk about act one as boy meets girl. Okay, of course, this is very, you know, heteronormative, but let's just go with it. Boy meets girl, act two, boy loses girl, act three, boy gets girl back again. And of course, this is, again, a huge oversimplification. If we look at the rocks one, which tends to be more convenient because um, it it's expanded to more genres, right? We don't spend act three getting our protagonist down from the tree necessarily. And that's part of what this model that Leslie was referring to um, is getting at. If you have... Act one sets all the stakes for the story. That's getting them up the tree. And that's actually the most useful metric is what happens in act one influences how the rest of the story plays out. I almost think nothing matters after that act one rule. Um, I think that's the most useful thing. Get all of your stakes set by the end of act one. Act two then is throwing rocks at your characters making them you know it's the conflict it's when the story is building the story is growing and all of the stakes that are set in act one begin to cascade and what leslie is talking about is that huge black moment at the end of act three or i'm sorry at the end of act two and then you spend act three fixing it basically boy gets girl back right getting them down out of the tree but really that's not how we tell stories um certainly it's not how i tell stories and i think if you look at most of them that's not how they play out because we don't spend the last quarter of a book fixing all of the problems instead we usually they get worse right uh, because things are not resolved until that Act Three climax, because that's when everything is is resolved. At that point, you don't resolve it at seventy five percent, right? You don't even begin to resolve it until much later. So, I think that the idea of the black moment occurring at the Act Two climax can be useful because we know that Act Two um is the uh i don't know the the you know it's the building of consequences i recently there was a a blog a post on the sefola blog and i saw it because i i see the sefola tweets i try to keep track of those and i didn't go read the blog post yet i probably should but the tweet had condensed it as that act two belongs to the antagonist because the act two is about conflict and I saw quite a people quite a few people retweeting it and arguing with that dang it my voice recorder stopped again I don't I think I hit it wrong because I was shifting in my chair because I've got my phone sitting in my lap anyway I saw people retweeting this um Tweet about the blog post saying that, so it's sort of meta, right? (laughs) Um, And commenting that, first of all, that this is a very Western approach and we could probably shake things up from Western approach and other things like that, where people were really balking at the idea of Act Two belonging to the antagonist, which and I, I do need to go read this post. I, I would have had I realized I was it was going to pop into my head to talk about today. Um, the thing is, it doesn't belong to the antagonist, right? Because it still belongs to the protagonists as well. There are a lot of things that happen in the middle 50% of the book. It's not just throwing rocks at characters. It's about all kinds of things. And I guess this is kind of what I was getting at the other day when I was talking about GMC and saying that that's an oversimplification. I think that's the thing we have to remember when we use these quantifiable analysis tools, that it's, it's a lens. It's a way of getting at the story, but it doesn't tell us everything about the story. And, It leaves out, because it's a simplification, it leaves out nuance. And we can't really leave out nuance when we're talking about actual storytelling. So I think it's much more useful to think about the act climaxes in terms of turning points. I know people really love to break down into a detailed analysis, you know, like save the cat and that kind of thing where certain things happen by certain percentages. And that can be useful if you're trying to learn structure, but after a while you assimilate these things, you take it into yourself and you make it your own. Uh, And, and this is going to sound like an odd analogy, but some of you know that I studied martial arts for many, many years. Um, internal Chinese martial arts, Kung Fu, which means work done over time. And one of the principles of studying an art like Tai Chi or Xing Ying or Bagua is that you learn the forms, you learn the movements, and you practice them over and over until you internalize them. And then you make them your own until they become then the art becomes an outgrowth of who you are. You're not simply imitating a rote set of movements but are expressing it from your inner self, which is absolutely what we should be doing as creatives, right? So all of this is a very long way of saying that I don't think we need to worry about having a huge black moment at the act two climax necessarily. Uh, If it's useful, go for it. I think also some of the idea of, and Leslie was touching on this, that the idea of this hugely angsty black moment has really been an outgrowth of recent movements in romance, uh, which are towards very angsty romance. Um, Huge, you know, where people talk, you know, readers talk about ugly crying and, you know, having their heart broken. And Leslie was talking about how she doesn't want that much stress when she reads, which I could totally get. Um, And I don't think that we have to have it. I don't think, you know, I think a certain audience loves it and that's great. But I don't think that as writers, you should feel like we have to cater to that. Especially if that's not the story that you're trying to tell. Very often, the um, angst lies in other places, right? It's not necessarily about the broken love affair. Sometimes it's enough just to down to take a big downbeat. You know, to think maybe this can't work out, because the whole point of a romance. Um, and I know I've said this before, but it bears repeating. You know, people complain that romances, you know, how they're going to end, which is. Stupid because most genres, you know what the how they're going to end, right? With romances, you know that it's going to end with a happy ever after. The whole point of the story is finding out how these people reach their happy ever after. Because very often, um, well, not very often, in a romance, it should seem like they can't have their happy ever after. For either for internal reasons because something inside's holding them back, or because of external reasons because society or family is holding them back, or both, and the whole story is how they overcome those obstacles. That's all stories are. Is you know we we know in general how most stories end. Um, and occasionally, there's a surprise or the. The manner of the ending comes as a surprise. But overall, you know, if somebody tells you something like, I'm going to tell you the story of an Olympian, then you know pretty much how the arc's going to go, that it's going to like involve the Olympic <laughs> Games in some ways, and you don't necessarily know if they're going to win or lose their medal at the end. Will they take gold? Will they take silver? But you have a sense of how that um, up and down is going to go. And I think that's the thing to remember about the act climaxes is that it's simply a, uh, the the act two climax is like the big downbeat. It's like, uh, boy, how you thought things were going to go. Didn't work out for them. Um, how black you want to make that? Yeah. So I'm going to get to work. I've already talked long enough. Um, First cup of coffee is part of the frolic media podcast network, and you will find other podcasts you love at frolic.media slash podcasts. And I will talk to you all tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye.